Subscribe to The Spectator this Christmas and get the next 12 weeks of print and online access as well as a bottle of Paul Roger champagne, all for just £12. This offer is available in the UK only. Go to www.spectator.co.uk forward slash Santa to subscribe. Welcome to Holy Smoke, The Spectator's religion podcast. And I'm a still slightly croaky Damien Thompson. Sorry about that. If this were not Christmas, you would be hearing about one of the most disturbing and disgusting scandals to hit Rome during this pontificate, and that really is saying something. Just Google the name Father Michael Rutnick and Pope Francis, and you'll see what all the fuss is about. But let's save it for another occasion. I'm joined today by one of the most popular guests I've ever had on Holy Smoke, former journalist now church organist in Herefordshire, Lois Letts, who, like her husband, the legendary parliamentary sketch writer Quentin Letts, has quite a way with words. Lois is not only a fine musician, but a tremendously feisty, if I can use that word, campaigner for traditional Anglican worship. And if you gather from that that she shares my horror at the caterwaulings of lefty folk musicians and worship leaders, then you're absolutely right. But Christmas, surely, is a time when church music is dominated by carols. So what could possibly go wrong? I rang Lois and discovered the answer is quite a lot. She's still reeling from the ghastly experience of playing at a nativity celebration at a Church of England primary school in Herefordshire. I asked her what happened. Yes, Damien, I was drafted in last week to play at the carol service of a local village primary school. And it's a Church of England school, so they do a lot better than those state schools. They see a vicar once a fortnight, they have daily assemblies. They go to church twice a term and they've been taught to sing by using these sort of karaoke style CDs which you can buy off the internet. And I would say that this headmaster, although uh, I do not share his taste in music, has got them singing. Before that, they were not singing. So this is a big improvement. Uh, they've discovered their voices on no singing. So there were 10 carols in all. There were three traditional ones which I was to accompany on the very nice Nicholson organ there. Once in Royal David's, O Little Town, Hark the Herald. And their parents were going to join in singing with those ones. And then there were seven worship songs, children's worship songs, to be accompanied by a CD, which, of course, predictably broke in the middle, allowing us a, a sort of a cappella version of one of those uh, songs. Which, now, to me, sounds... I mean, worship songs are pretty ghastly anyway, I think. Yes. And I can't... I, well, I can't decide whether they're worse without or with an accompaniment. I think if you have a beautiful voice, if you're Whitney Houston, you can do it unaccompanied. But I think an eight-year-old voice needs help and a rhythm, all of which the accompaniment that the chords uh, provides. Well, help me out. What does a Christmas, what does a Christmas or an Advent worship song sound like? Oh, okay, it's bad. <clears throat> so um, it's bad, is it? I thought it might bad. be. I've got a, a few of the lyrics here. So. This one is called Down in the Stable. And I'll give you, I'm sorry about my singing capabilities, but I'll give you a quick burst of uh, burst of what I think. So, down in the stable, down in the stable, it won't be too bad. Down in the stable, down in the stable, it's a cosy pad. Come down with me and you will see. 
that it's really not too bad. Well, oh, yes, it is. It goes on down in the hail, warm and snugly. It won't be too bad. Then there was one. This one really annoyed me. Now, this has nothing to do with the nativity. It could have been written by someone who works for shelter. Teach me always to remember the many people of late December. That's not grammatical. The people don't belong to December. But anyway, the many people of late December that have no shelter to call their home. For the ones left out in the cold. For the poor and the homeless that have no place to go. And it goes on. It doesn't rhyme. There's no real meter. It's not good poetry. And it's also sanctifying, I would say, homeless people. Now, admittedly, you know, there are lots of homeless people out there, youngsters who shouldn't be on the streets through no fault of their own. They are homeless. But I, I work in Hereford and I see a lot of characters on the streets who are, clearly have addiction problems. And I don't think we should be teaching our 10-year-olds to, in some way, sanctify these characters. Well, certainly not to celebrate homelessness in itself. That seems all so predictable anyway. So this was sort of shoehorned into a nativity service. Good Lord, It's meant to be about the nativity. It's meant to be getting the basics in. There are are nine excellent carols I could have provided that would have given you, admittedly, wise men somewhat ahead of their time, because that's epiphany. But um, you would have had um, angels and you would have had um, shepherds and all the rest. And we could have used all the traditional carols that you and I grew up singing in the 1970s, probably knew off by heart, to illustrate the readings. To begin with, it was quite sweet. And, I, and I, I, I'm a mum, so I enjoy watching Sweet for Children. They were doing well with, with their material. But after a while, the poverty of the language and the poverty of the tunes and the harmony and the poverty of the back and date and, frankly, the poverty of aspiration behind this programme started to just bleed into me, into my soul. And the words of Bob Dylan, for some reason, started going around my head. You just kind of wasted my precious time. But worse than that, after a while, I thought, no, they wasted the children's precious time. They have those children for seven years. That's half their knowing conscious childhood. And they're going to be leaving that school ignorant of their birthright, their, their choral birthright, and knowing some songs which they're going to forget instantly and never sing again. Exactly, yes. And that is not going to happen to the, school, the children who go to prep schools. Uh, one hopes not. Otherwise, parents should ask for their money back. Prep schools are going more traditional. I, I helped to um, change the musical curriculum at a prep school about eight years ago, there was some, there was quite a lot of kumbaya type stuff and the Graham Kendrick stuff coming in. And the lady who used to work play the organ there left. And I said, well, I will play the organ for free. Don't pay me. I just want to get the basics into them, please. So um, you will have to put up with what I want to teach them. So I got all the carols in. I got Advent, Epiphany, Lent, Passion, Easter, Harvest, the lot. And they left with a sense of the canon the curriculum, if you like, of the choral tradition. And I, I bumped into a, a woman the other day who um, is teaching prep school in Dorset, and she said they've gone very much back to the traditional stuff. So I think the prep schools and the, the, the public schools are realising that, that is their, one of their unique selling points, that they have musical staff, they have trained musicians on the staff, and they can provide a grounding in, in our great choral heritage. And also Which, grounding in tunes that people like very much. Now, one of the things we know about carols is that they seem to maintain their popularity even though people don't go to church. It's a bit like 
Paris Victorian anthem Jerusalem, which lives on, you know, at rugby club dinners and it's sung in the street by drunks because it's such a good tune and because the words are uplifting, even if nobody knows what they mean. And the same is true of so many carols. And instead, well, basically, a number of carols were sort of just sort of cut out of the service so that children could sing this woke garbage. And yes. let me ask you, how did this culture come to get a grip on this particular, supposedly, Church of England school? I'm going to be helping more at that school, I've decided. So I will perhaps get more of a backstory on how this happened. But I would say that generally what happened was um, the closure of the grammar schools in the 1970s and 80s meant that lots of good musicians who both taught at the local grammar and were director of music, say, at the local big parish church were no longer employed. There was no crossover, therefore, between the church and the school. It, it was just part of the general rot in the Church of England in the 1970s. Uh, so a lack of volunteerism, perhaps you could say. So if you have no old Mrs Goggins who's prepared to go and give her time free to help because there isn't much money, well, that sort of thing has faded. Perhaps fewer trained pianists. Most girls my age can play the piano, or most women, I'm 57, most women my age can play the piano probably up to about grade five standard amongst my friends. So there were more people there to help in these little village schools. And something did come into the gap, as it always does, something not very pleasant came into the gap in the 1970s and 80s. So various uh, books by, I've got two here by A&C Black, started being published, Someone as Singing Lord, so this has the usual kumbaya, morning is broken, lord of the dance, and some more forgettable ones. And there's a, there's a daily carol version as well, which has Little Donkey in. And I've nothing against Little, Little Donkey and Calypso Carol in small doses for very small children, but not if it's all they have. And then the BBC saw their chance. And in the 1980s, the BBC produced Come and Praise, and then we had songs for collective worship and assemblies. And that wasn't a particularly Christian set of songs. It was, it was, and we know where the BBC was going in the 80s, um, very anti-elitism into a sort of secular humanism on the religious programming. Exactly. I don't think that um, dear old Thora Heard, Dame Thora Heard, whom I met, who presented yeah. your Songs of Praise Choice, as it was originally yeah. called, and then it became Praise Be. Only yeah, I would yeah. know something as trivial as that. Anyway, I, I, I met Thora. It was a great treat, but I don't think she approved very much of what was happening to hymns and carols and the like. It was designed to be inoffensive to people of other faiths or of no faith. The trouble with being that inoffensive is the lines to your, your particular culture start to be rubbed out. But um, one of the really disturbing things about this is that it's the Church of England that's actually doing this. It's Church of England yes. committees. The same is true in the Catholic yes. Church. same is true, you know, Lutherans in America. It doesn't matter where you go in the West. Mainstream denominations, you'll find that this wokeness, and they hate us using the word, so I'm, yeah. I use it all the more, is yes. being pushed through at committee level very yes. often by bishops. And um, bishops have a tremendous amount of power in yes. both the Catholic and American churches. And they're basically able, if, if that's their style, to enforce an already horribly outdated and patronising style of worship on children, which is particularly incongruous at Christmas, it's a bit. Yes, and it makes me... Uh, No-one has ever accused me of being a socialist. No, I'm Lois, no. Truthfully, they come. <laughs> but 
I got really quite upset for these children because you can't say that if you work hard, you can buy a good product to a child because the child has had no opportunity to work hard and to buy itself into a private school. They're the very children who have probably least access to decent culture outside of the school. So in private schools, most children probably go to church or have a mummy plays the piano, say. They might even sing some carols um, with, with some carol singers. So a community-type carol singing. But these children, they have two hard-working parents. Sunday is a day of, of blocked-off relaxation. They don't go to church. And therefore, it's state-school-educated children who are most being affected by well-meaning but misplaced egalitarianism here. But shouldn't because there be a vicar? Shouldn't there be a vicar presiding at this, you know, nativity That's... play, or at least attending it? But perhaps well, the sometimes vicar... the vicar is the problem. The vicar or the rector or the, the parish. The vicar people. can be uh, the vicar. At that particular carol service is a standing vicar who is part of that whole woke culture. And although he is very well-meaning, he would hate to, I think, admit that perhaps the last. 40, 50 years of his life has been tending to take worship in, in the wrong direction for, for the majority of people. He, he would have hoped to have opened it up to people, but actually all it's done is closed it down into more of a, a middle-class thing for um, children going to private school, have, have all these wonderful opportunities, and those going to that school have almost nothing. So it, it's backfired on him, so he can't admit that. The other vicar in, in that the, the vicar actually runs the benefice. I was talking to him last night. And out of this, we have actually thought of a plan, which I might use this as an opportunity, if I may, to, to, to give you. Of course. Is, if CDs, because we have no pianists and no resident musicians in these little village schools, if CDs are the way forward... Which they're um, not. They're being retired faster than clapped out old children. Well, not, not C, but karaoke machine type, yes. sort of um, yes. Spotify type. Yes, indeed. Not yeah. CDs, but yeah. the, the, whatever is afterwards. Yeah. I've got to get, um, obviously, more au fait with the tech. But if that is the way forward, what about if we produced a, a sort of choral canon which was shamelessly traditionalist, and aimed at, um, well, I, I don't think there should be any difference between primary and junior school. I think a five-year-old should be aiming up to the sort of thing a 13-year-old is singing. We're not all dumbing down to the five-year-old level. But if we produced some sort of aid, an easy aid, because they all need things to be done quickly and easily, these headmasters and mistresses, if we produced easy aid for assemblies that pushed our agenda rather than let the left take over on the agenda and just have it their way. I think we've, because the organists that I know tend to be traditionalists, we don't want to do ourselves out of a, a job, obviously, or out of the sense of live music is best. So we have been tardy at, at grappling with new technology. But given that we're in this awful state, isn't it best that we admit that, okay, the music might not be perfect, but nevertheless, the children are at least getting the words they're getting the words, which are, if they don't know those words, they won't understand half the references in, oh, books they might read that have been written over the last 200 years. It's part of their heritage as much as Shakespeare or the Bible or the King James Bible, obviously, or the Book of Common Prayer. And they need to have these pushed into them at a young age.
So we're thinking of doing um, yes, a, a, something a bit techy. I think it's a very good idea. Why don't you talk to the great Marcus Walker, who's rector of St. Bartholomew the Great in London, who's, yes. by, I've had him on, on the podcast, by reviving traditional Anglican worship there. People are flocking there. In fact, the king was there the other day. Everybody yes. loves it. People actually like traditional worship, including people who don't yes. normally go to church. Yes. And but yes. they especially, because this is our Christmas special, Lois, so you've got to imagine, you know, a Holy Smoke TV studio decked out in the <laughs> ultimate 1970s Christmas hat. Um, because this is our Christmas special, I, I, I wanted to say that, you know, particularly at Christmas, wokeness and Christmas, well, they've always sat together very uneasily, even before we knew the word woke. For example, I have heard so many bloody sermons from Catholic priests in which they insist on talking about the Holy Family as immigrants. And this then becomes, mm. this becomes a hook on which they hang their mm. utterly platitudinous thoughts about immigrants, which tend towards letting in as many immigrants as possible and therefore putting as much strain as possible on our National Health Service. Sorry, that's one of my bugbears. No, 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 go for it. But, well, first, what I find rather funny is that the vicars and the priests who push this line will often tell you that they don't actually literally believe that the Holy Family went into Egypt, and so actually they don't really believe they were immigrants. And so they're fans of the modern school of biblical scholarship and a lot of its well research, which doesn't necessarily think the nativity narratives are completely true. But when the opportunity to present Jesus, Mary and Joseph as immigrants presents mm. itself, there you have it. People mm. yawn because they know what's coming. Ten minutes of pure sanctimony at midnight mass. And, and you're, not allowed, you're not allowed to protest. You have to sit there being talked down to, criticised, and you have no means of, of getting up and saying, that's just crap, I, I don't believe in that. Or I realise you're criticising me for voting Conservative, which is, comes down to in our local parishes. Well, I think local parity is everywhere because the, the gap between the number of Anglicans who vote Tory and the number of Anglican clergy who vote Tory is enormous. Yes. Absolutely enormous. This lovely chap who's going to do this, hopefully, the, tech, the, uh, the, the, the work with me on this, he's very much of our, our um, persuasion on that. Right. But, he, but, he's, but I think he has to keep that quite quiet. <laughs> but tell me, but I'm interested in how can... Just as there are ways of making a carol service or midnight mass, I'm not saying political in any sense, I'm not saying it should be right-wing or left-wing, but it can become, become an all-embracing, nostalgic environment. Because Ooh, there's nothing more powerful than nostalgia. There's nothing more powerful than nostalgia. People yes, love it, and I love it. I'm intensely sentimental, and that's what I expect at Christmas. I think it's, it's, it's sound and light as much as everything else. You have to think of it as a piece of theatre. And we've just done our How Cable Carol service. It was a huge success. We had, a, in a village of 100, we had 110 people in the congregation, 25 in the choir. We had people coming from Worcester because they had seen it on Facebook or whatever that we did, Book of Common Prayer and, and um, King James. We had no sermon. Because I think that just slows the flow. And you don't have a load of um, notices and, and little introductions to things. You just go from one thing to another, telling the story very simply, 
with King James and with all the traditional carols and the descants and we have soloists. We've got to get the lighting right, lots of candles, I set the scene. And I think if the words and the music and the lighting and the warmth, I think that's quite important. I went to an extremely cold church for a service the other day and, and it was almost impossible for me to, to, to play fast. So if you if you get all those creature comforts right and you get a nice packed church, then something wonderful happens, something magical. And there were lots of children there, teenagers, and drinks afterwards. Alcohol is important. Yeah. Uh, so then it turns into a, a real sort of... I used to wrote... It, was, it used to be very important for me. I haven't drunk for 28 years, but I think your husband will remember the days when I did drink. <laughs> and uh, I'm afraid I ruined at least one family Christmas. Um, so I prefer not to think about that. But... Did Christmas in church, doesn't matter whether it's C of E, Catholic, Methodist or whatever, has the added power of nostalgia because it makes you think of people who are no, no longer with you. I mean, I think of the Christmases in my childhood and it's hardly surprising that nearly everybody is dead, although it is still very surprising and shocking to me that my younger sister is dead. But, um, well... We've, we've all been there. I know your husband has been yes, there as yes. well. And, you know, you are haunted by the ghost of Christmas past. And if you've got children and a family around you, you at least have the consolation of knowing that the same festivities, slightly change, but essentially the same festivities and beliefs and joy is being passed on yes. to a new generation. And what the woke people are doing is they're actually taking advantage, I think, of in, an increasing lack of interest in religion in society generally, to just turn what was religion into politics, to put it very crudely. Yes, and, and you're so right. The fact that we're using the same language as our forebears perpetuates a tradition, and we feel part of a great tradition. And we know we're going to die, and we know our loved ones are going to die. And as a mother, that's that's a scary thing to say that you realise one day your children will die. But if you feel hugged in the bosom of a, of, of a big, wonderful tradition and church, it's not frightening. I was thinking about Tythonus. Do you remember um, Tythonus, the poem? Was it Tennyson? Uh, it's about a man who, 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 who cannot die. Um, oh, he's right. yes. condemned. He's a, okay. It's a Greek myth. I think he's in love with the dawn. He asks to be made immortal so that he can love the dawn, Athena, and he forgets to ask for eternal youth at the same time. Oh. So he just gets older and older and older. And yes. it's, um, it's a lovely poem that Tithonus about, about ageing and not and wanting to die, wanting to go, because you've passed your time. So I think spending time in church and feeling that continuity and feeling that one day you're going to heaven and that certainty of those words, because they were very certain, the Victorian hymn writers and carol writers, about what was happening, makes you, gives you confidence and, and you can't take away the sorrow of, of grieving for someone, but you can, you can bolster someone with so much strength using this wonderful choral tradition that we, that we should all be able to i'm going to start using the word access <laughs> with, with my with my they've even got to use <laughs> i think we need to be more inclusive of those children in state schools who, who well, are being denied access 
Lois, the thought of an accessible and all-inclusive Christmas is extremely acceptable to me if it's being run by Lois Letts. I have no problem with that at all. I think it will be tremendous fun, and it always is fun talking to you, and we really need to talk more often. I hope that you and Quentin have a fabulous Christmas with your family, and that a glass or two of Madeira will be drunk in a seemly fashion on return to Midnight Mass, or whatever you call it. God bless you, Lois. Have a really happy Christmas. And now is my opportunity to play you out with a piece of obscure classical music, or this being Christmas, perhaps something a little bit cheesy, or maybe a combination of the two. Here's part of the prelude to a once rather popular symphony by the composer Victor Healy Hutchison. It's from his, I think, absolutely delightful carol symphony. In a 70-year-old recording, well out of copyright, by something called the Metropole Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Dolph van der Linden. 